You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On this weekend show, an on-demand pilot project in Aurora that gets you to the GO station. Also ahead, we meet a local teacher who uses rap to teach math. And we check in with the York Region dad who had twins in Kenya via a surrogate. How he's coping now that the girls are home. These stories coming up. But we begin the feed with York Region Chair and CEO, Wayne Emerson. The yes. provincial government has hinted there are upcoming changes being made to municipal governments in the GTA, including York Region. What sort of changes do you see potentially being discussed now that a review committee has been formed? Well, I think the, the uh, provinces said all the way along uh, last year, just after the election, that they were going to look at regional government. And the one comment was made strengthen regional government. We're not just sure what that means. Uh, the minister, uh, Minister Clark, came out with a statement yesterday wanting a review of regional government. And we welcome the opportunity uh, to do that. We always have, um, I think it's even in our mandate um, from the province that we have to review our, our uh, regional representation in government uh, by 2021, I think it is, or too early, or sometime in 2020. So we're, we're fine to go ahead with it, Tina. Like, um, we know um, every every job you've been here for so long, you can you understand there's always ways to look at efficiencies and how can we do things better. So it's a good opportunity for us to go through that process. Do you think it will mean that York Region will have less municipal representatives and how would that shape how the government is structured? What do you think? I'm not sure if it will be less or, or not. I I think that what we do here in York Region is different than what they do in Durham and in Niagara and Waterloo. Um, we've um, I've always been very proud of what we've accomplished and how our how our team works here at, at York Region, especially with our dedicated staff and our and our counselors. Uh, they come with the with their uh, York Region hat on, and, and they try to make things better so we can have great communities in York Region. So I'm not sure if it's going to be um, what they'll do with the numbers. Can we do something with the numbers? Yes, I, I'm sure we can look at those numbers. Uh, but I, I guess uh, the the uh, announcement's just out now, so uh, we want time, and um, they promised us all we would be at the table. Uh, I see uh, Mayor Tory had a big... Uh, meeting with some of the mayors, the regional chairs were not invited to that meeting or we would have been there. Uh, I don't know why uh, that we weren't invited. But um, listen, I, like uh, you've heard some of the mayors speaking. Mayor Crombie wants to be a city on her own like the city of Toronto. I'm not sure what my mayors want in the, in the region, but we will go through that. At the uh, at the outset here about a couple of weeks ago, I did say I was going to set up a task force um, in March uh, where report come back to uh, regional council to see what we do, um, how can we do things better, and what should the municipalities be doing. And will we will we look at the numbers? We possibly will look at the numbers of representation across there. So we will be doing that sometime in March, and then that'll give us, that'll lead us into helping uh, shape our position going forward to the province. And in your time as the York Region Chair and CEO, you've overseen the extension of the TTC Line 1 subway into York Region, 
Do you feel that the provincial government is moving towards an amalgamation of York Region into possibly the city of Toronto or anything like that because of its growing size and growing needs? No, I, I don't believe that'll ever happen. I still think that we uh, we will we'll have nine municipalities. Uh, I still believe that the uh, residents still want a local government, um, someone that they can go to to talk to and uh, to discuss their their issues and locally. Um, let's face it, the municipal government is the closest to the people. So I do believe they they want they want those the residents do want a a local representation. We at the region, can we do others? Yeah, we can take water from the source to the tap. Can we do something with garbage? I believe we can. Can we do, can we look at fire? That would be up to the fire departments if they really want to amalgamate into it like police and ambulance are. So there are ways to save some costings if we can, but it won't happen over one year. It When you do amalgamation, it takes a few years to even uh, see the benefits of the amalgamation. But I'm not sure. I, I don't believe that they're looking at amalgamation of, um, of municipalities. But if some municipalities want to, then that would be their decision. Uh, there was a comment made by Mary Scarpetti also that if they're going to make changes, that maybe this could be a shorter term uh, of, of this term of council. It could go down to three years. And, and I'm just... No, I'm thinking, well, maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing. So then the federal government would have their election one year, province would have their election one year, and the municipalities would have election the following year. So they all, there wouldn't be two in one year, which I think the public would appreciate also. Absolutely. Well, this is definitely a story we will keep watching. Wayne Emerson, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thanks, Tina, for giving me the opportunity. And I really do appreciate what 105.9 does for the region. It does get up the news and does get out good things for us happening, what's happening here. And like I say, it's not all good. Some things are, are difficult, but I mean, uh, we will do our best, but we do appreciate what, your, what, uh, what 105 does. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop is Aurora and the on-demand transit pilot project. Christy Laverty explains. Today we're joined by Tom Maracas and uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And today we wanted to talk about something specific, which I kind of like the idea of, and I think maybe some other people might like the idea of as well, is on-demand transportation um it's it's a pilot project that your aurora is uh doing with york region transit and so maybe give us a little bit of a uh explanation on what it is so that people can really understand and and be as excited as that idea as i am no definitely so um so the pilot that that's being implemented is just for an on-demand pretty much as simple as it sounds. It's an on-demand service that that would allow for um, residents to book spontaneous spontaneous rides. Um, you know, so as when they when they want to get to the to the go station, they can um, there's gonna be an app that gets rolled out with the pilot as well and they'll be able to uh, go uh, go onto the app, uh, basically book uh, book that they want uh, a ride and uh, a ride will come show up pick them up bring them to the go and drop them off and it would be uh, you would have the same service to take you back home which is fantastic and it's it's almost a little bit um sort of a new concept really of how we think of transit so talk to us a little bit about why you're coming up with this idea and testing it for aurora 
Well, I mean, I wish I could take all the credit for it, but I mean, <laughs> obviously, YRT and the region, uh, you know, staff at the region have done an ex- extraordinary amount of work in, in looking at how we can provide the best possible service when it comes to the first and last mile in, in transit. And that's always been a problem that's plagued many, uh, you know, public transit uh, authorities and uh, you know they we we've always been looking at what's the best way to to get people out of their vehicles provide them uh with a comfort level where they they know that they can get to the go station on time and with with the utmost convenience and um it's i think it's developed over time and there's been lots of conversation and this is something that i i believe has been tried in in a few other areas um and you know, staff have decided that uh, they've uh, they're going to uh, uh, put this pilot forward in Aurora, and and it's you know at the end of the day, it's something that we're hoping that will you know the goals are to alleviate the parking volumes that with and problems that we have with parking, uh, and as I said, at the end of the day, is to provide that comfort level and convenience um, to allow people to to say, hey, you know what, I'll get out of my car and I'm gonna and, and I'm gonna take that transit instead. So what's the goal here of, you know, working on a pilot project and kind of what happens when things are wrapped up? Because this is for a specific amount of time, correct? Uh, Correct. It it, it does run until April, May of 2019. And at the end of the day, staff are going to assess, you know, uh, how it's worked out as far as has it alleviated those parking problems uh, that we have within Aurora you know, it, does it improve the go train connections, and then does it add to traveler uh, convenience? And and if it if it meets those criterias, and then we'll expand it, and it will be town wide. So one of the things that I find really interesting about this is that normally when we think of on-demand transportation, you know, we're thinking about taxis. We're maybe thinking about some of those ride-sharing apps that are out there, and this is really seems to me kind of bridging that gap. It will be an app, and it 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 does the same thing, yet is enrolled into the the overall transit plan, or idea of transit for the region. Is that kind of the idea behind doing this kind of a program that you're capitalizing on technology that's out there that people can think of that on demand and understand what that means, but is still really enforcing the regional transit and really getting people, like you say, getting out of their cars and supporting and using the transit systems that are in place. Well, definitely. And I think that's the, you know, at the end of the day, that's the way most uh, things are, are moving towards is, you know, with, uh, with the, you know, with a lot of things coming through as far as technology, uh, you know, the apps, the Ubers, your Lyfts, uh, all that, um, you know, it, it makes sense that we start looking at those approaches where we can, at the end of the day, as I always say, we have to provide a, a better service at a most cost-effective way. And this is one of those opportunities that we can we can utilize the technology and, and provide that better service uh, for our residents. Um, you know, at the end of the day, especially with our, with our Go Parking, uh, you know, um, we know that there's a struggle there. If you don't make it there by 7 a.m., you're you're going to have some problems trying to find some parking within the Aurora Go station. And so, you know, how do we how do we alleviate that problem? Um, you know, some people say build more parking spots, but at the end of the day, that's uh, I don't think that that's the most cost-effective way of coming up with a solution. Because uh, at the end of the day, what we want to do is get people out of their cars. And so and that even means that first and last mile. And if it, something like this, I think, is something where you provide a, a, of the utmost convenience for people. 
And when you when you add that convenience in, that's when people start to say, hey, you know what, I'll change my habits, I'll get out of the car, and I'll use this service. And it, you know, and at the end of the day, that's going to help overall with with the Aurora Go Station. What sort of response have you been hearing or getting from the community so far with just that idea of on-demand transportation to the to the station? Well, the the initial response is that I haven't talked to anyone at the region as far as what the responses they're getting as far as sign-ups, but initial responses I'm getting from residents that have just contacted me is that they're excited about the program. Um, the one of the, the one of the biggest things that everyone keeps mentioning is this. Well, uh, unfortunately, I, I I'm not I don't fall within the the zone of the pilot, uh, you know, and and they're a little you know upset about that, but they understand and you know they 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 hope that it is successful that so that way it it becomes a town wide uh, program that they could utilize. So those are some of the things. But I, uh, overall, I, everyone that has contacted me is, is pretty excited about it, and they're and they're all kind of keeping their fingers crossed and hoping that it, it does it does work and it and it, it does achieve the goals that that are going to be set out to achieve. Now, is this something that is new in transit as a whole? What do you know about as far as other transit systems also trying out a program like this? Well, I mean, Innisfil has been, I think it's been almost a year now that they've been piloting with, uh, with a program with, with partnering with Uber. And so it, it, there are other municipalities that have, you know, tried uh, an innovative approach to, you know, that first and last mile uh, in, in regards to transit. And so uh, we were actually going to go sit down with the mayor out, out in Innisfil to sit down and just see how that, that pilot worked out as well. And I'll be actually going out there next at the end of this month, actually, and uh, sitting down with with the mayor of Stouffville and 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 looking at that data and seeing how that evolved and how it worked out and you know and how responsive were the residents to it and you know and how well it did work. And so there are other municipalities that are utilizing technology, and so I think that that's kind of where this probably evolved from a, from a staff and regional level and. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be one of the areas that got chosen to be uh, part of the pilot. Which is fantastic because, as you say, innovation is really the key to really getting people to understand that, you know, there is convenience in driving your car, but making transit convenient as as convenient as possible. Like you say, maybe really the only way to get people to leave the car at home, alleviate the parking, but also alleviate congestion because you know the end point is obviously the parking lot as they get onto the go station but it is you know the drive there as well and i just add to that uh, you know um as that first and last mile aspect of it you know a lot of people you know they don't mind they can they can walk to the bus stop or you know from work walk from the train station to their work uh, but a lot of people can't do that. They don't have the ability to do that, or it's just too far. And so, you know, how do you how do you achieve that and get that? In, and that's how you get the people out of the, out of their vehicles and out of their cars is by giving them a service that allows them to have that first last mile easily available to them, where they can get to where they're going after they get off the train. And so that's that is what I believe that this provides. And and when you provide that level of service with that convenience factor in it, I think that's that's how we get get people to start to use transit uh, on a more regular basis and get them out of their cars. Because I know, I mean, I use my car a lot. I, I use transit a lot. But, you know, if the convenience is not there, sometimes you just turn and say, hey, you know what, I'm, 
you know, it's just, it makes more sense for me to drive at this time. And, and we have to change that mentality and, and give everyone uh, that better option. Finally, you're going to be joining us again mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday, January 23rd. So you're going to be joining Jim in the morning. Yes, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be uh, the morning after our, our council meeting next week. And uh, actually, we also will be having our special council meeting in regards to whether we'll be opting in or opting out uh, in regards to cannabis, and so uh, a retail store. Um, so I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about on that morning. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us this exciting new pilot project. We hope that it's successful and it, that it's something that's rolled out on a permanent basis for Aurora and other areas of the region. So thank you so much for joining us. No, definitely. And I appreciate it. And thank you very much for uh, having me. For more information about the on-demand service, go to yrt.ca. Our next couple of stories focus on education. And if you have a child struggling with math, we have a wrap, which just might help. Jim Lang with the story. Well, learning math in high school can be a challenge. Take it from me, I struggled in math because it was always the same old, same old. But I'm thrilled to be speaking with someone who's taken mathematics and rap and hip-hop and melded it into an incredible learning experience. And she's the pride of Richmond Hill, teaches at the Hill Academy in Vaughan. Dorit Weiss joins us on the feed today. Uh, Dorit, how are you? Good, thanks, Jim. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. I was blown away by your Bust a Proof to Bust a Move video. Uh, People I know it well from the late 1980s. Uh, First of all, the video, the way it's done is fantastic, but matching the words to things like trigonometry and concepts and Pythagorean's theorem and dimensions, it was so brilliantly done. How long did it take you to write it? (laughs) Thank you. Um, It took me, actually, I was on a plane ride to Whistler and I was I just wanted to kill some time so I started writing it so I guess it's over it's a four-hour flight took four hours <laughs> that's fantastic now when you when you approached your students thinking I'd like you to help me be in the video what was their response they were kind of confused but excited <laughs> I think when they started seeing my vision a little bit clearer they were like this is really cool like let's get this go yeah so they were really excited but I think at first there was a lot of skepticism they were like you're making up what <laughs> uh your resume your academic resume is it's pretty incredible you studied math and computer science at the University of Waterloo which is the the creme de la creme of math and computer science in this country, graduated from York University with a computer science degree. You're working towards a master's of math. So I was more than a little shocked to find out, Dorit, that you weren't always this confident in your mathematical prowess. How, how could that be? Um, I, I really, I feel like I'm just, I'm like naturally an artist. I was always drawn to arts. I was like painting and dancing and writing um, at a young age. And then, you know, my family, they're all engineers. So there was no doubt I would go into math and engineering and computer science. And so I think like it's like if you work hard enough at something, you'll eventually master it. And I think that's what happened there, which I'm so grateful that I developed that side of my brain and it's helped me um, kind of channel my ideas in a more logical way, which is awesome. You talk about growing up that you had a struggle with fractions and you turned to your mother and she was able to, to click everything. Do you find that same satisfaction with students who struggle with concepts 
and you try to find different ways to impart a part a part upon them the knowledge of what they need to know and you see the light bulb go off as they oh I get it now yeah definitely and I feel like I can relate to them a little bit better because I didn't always come naturally to me so I feel like you know I I could share my story and also just explain it in a way that like I get where the confusion lies so it's yeah I think it definitely helps me as a teacher uh, it, does it is it opening eyes to um, not just students in general? Uh, um, and the reason I'm asking this, I have uh, two daughters, uh, my wife and I, and our oldest is, is leaning towards the STEM stream at university, about to go in there. So I find this inspiring to see um, a female mathematics teacher with such a passion for the game. Are, are you finding that women, young women in school, the Hill Academy, are gaining that confidence and seeing, oh look at Mrs. Weiss is a really smart mathematics person. I I, I can pursue it too. I like it. I mean, I hope so. That's kind of the reason I went into teaching in the first place, just to inspire girls specifically and, and empower them in the field that's usually very male-dominated. So um, I hope that I've been a role model to them and I'm pushing them and encouraging them to go into that field because I think that's awesome to get more women involved in those fields. Speaking with mathematics instructor from the Hill Academy of Vondra Weiss, who has gone viral with her uh, video, YouTube video, Bust a Proof to uh, Young MC's Bust a Move from the late 1980s. Uh, your your resume is is pretty incredible. Now, so you, you, you've done the arts. Uh, you were accepted to the Ontario College of Art. You have all your degrees. And then you spent a number of years working in Silicon Valley in the United States into the computer world. Uh, how was that experience? It was, um, and then I, I also came back and worked in IT and software here. It was exhausting, and I felt like I, I didn't really click that well with the corporate world and the corporate environment and just, you know, I always felt like I had to prove myself a little bit harder because I was female, and in that software development world, it was very, um, it just, it was a little draining, and not, and not draining in a good way, like, yeah. like teaching is. <laughs> um, so that was frustrating a little bit, but I, I feel like I'm so grateful to have had that experience because it did bring me to where I am now. And um, I like I, I was so passionate about the content and just like loved learning about different industries and computer science in general. I'm really passionate about that. So it did deepen that for me. What was it about uh, Ron Lancaster when you were at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education that all of a sudden made math and mathematical theories fun for you that you think you thought, man, I can really do this and I can make it fun for students. So I think, I think like his passion really stands out. He's so, um, he's just so enthusiastic and so passionate about everything and loves to connect math with the real world. Like he has something, this really cool thing that we did called the math trail that I've actually used a couple times with my school here. Um, where you go, like he had it downtown and it's kind of like a math scavenger hunt and it just makes you realize there's math everywhere in architecture and just like industrial design and it's just, it's amazing. So that really inspired me and just like being able to connect it and make it applicable to students. I think that's like the key to, to where education should be going. You know, and I had that uh, same experience this past summer. Family, we were on a vacation, and we were in Barcelona at the Sagrada Familia, and they were explaining to us the exact precision mathematical formulas that Gaudi used to put all the pillars in there. I went, oh, and I, I didn't know that math could be used in art in such a way. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's really cool. I'm learning a lot of it in my master's right now. Like, even in all these paintings, like Da Vinci paintings, the golden ratio, it's all in there. It's really fascinating when you learn more about it because you just realize it's things that happen naturally in the world can be explained by math. Like, everything can be modeled mathematically. I, I love the fact that one of your former students, Mario Zatella, was your valedictorian last year and is now studying at Harvard and talks about you being a, a superwoman and a role model. Uh, it must be, I mean, all the stress that goes with teaching to hear a student say those words and find out they've matriculated to a place like Harvard has got to be incredible rewarding. Yeah, I just have to correct you there. It's uh, Kristen Dillerow. She, she's actually oh, excuse a, me. It's a female student that went to Harvard. She's a female hockey player. Um, Mario Zitella is amazing too. <laughs> but she, um, so it was actually a lot more meaningful because she's, um, she's a female hockey player. And I felt like the fact that she's at Harvard and feels really prepared from just having experienced a bunch of my courses, I felt really proud of that. It's, and I, I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing behind teaching. It's one thing to spend the time with the students in there, but you know, you only have them for a finite, a limited amount of time. And then they're moving on to something else. The fact that they move on and do all these different amazing things and take something from your classes, I mean, that's got to be the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Now, the video is extremely amazing. I was blown away by it. Have you heard from anyone in the Canadian rap or hip-hop or music industry? Are they going to have you cut a math CD or something? <laughs> I'd love that. I'm <laughs> <Everyone> listening. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, Drewit, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you. You uh, keep inspiring young women and men in York Region, the Hill Academy and Vaughan and all throughout Canada to get into math. And I hope this video goes viral um, because I, I was blown away by it. I remember my math teachers in high school in the 80s, and they were nothing like you. They usually were covered in chalk and quite dry. So I would have learned a lot more and had better marks in math. Uh, thank you so much for that. And on that note, as we close, we're going to play a snippet of the video for the listeners so they can enjoy what we enjoyed. Thanks so much and continued success teaching math to the kids. Great. Thank you so much, Jim. Yo, this here's a tale for all the fellas Trying to do what your math teachers tell us Get shot down because you ain't got the pedigree To do your basic trigonometry Okay, smarty, it's a math party Everyone's converting into Iranians like armies Pi is a more exact approximation Listen up, I'm about to drop the equation Pi is equal to 180 degrees Use these conversions carefully From degrees and radians and back to this You're using dimensional analysis It's all really cool, but you need to know How a unit circle likes to flow You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you have a little one just starting school next fall, the York Catholic District School Board Superintendent, Diane Murgaski, is here to help. Diane, welcome to The Feed. Hello. Can you tell us a little bit about full-day kindergarten at York Catholic Schools here in York Region? Yes, I can, because full-day kindergarten is one of the programs that we are very passionate about and that has really made tremendous strides over the last few years that it's become a full-day program. So York Catholic offers its kindergarten program for all four- and five-year-old children in the Catholic context of every child is a gift and everyone belongs. 
it's a child-centered, developmentally appropriate um, program of learning. And the purpose is to establish a strong foundation for learning in the early years and to do so in a safe and caring play-based environment. The program covers two years of learning for children and it's especially designed to give them time to adjust to the world of school. And it supports each child individually to gain knowledge and skills that they'll need by the end of the second year of the program. The program is organized into four areas of learning called the four frames. This is the ministry language on the communication of learning report. So the four frames are belonging and contributing, self-regulation and well-being, demonstrating literacy and mathematics behaviors, and problem-solving and innovating. Now, while these topics may sound less academic than categories like science or reading, they really aren't. Children are learning how to be learners, how to manage their efforts to concentrate, to manage their emotions, to use words to communicate their needs with their peers, and to have the confidence to solve problems. They're learning how to be proud of their efforts and accomplishments. And while they're learning these skills, they're also developing literacy and numeracy behaviors that will support their success throughout their school years. The skills, attitudes, and values that they will need to be lifelong learners and productive members of their communities begin right in the kindergarten classroom. And the last thing I'd like to add about that program is that in addition, innovation's a key, another key aspect of that kindergarten program. And in that regard, technology also plays a pivotal role. Coding is becoming part of the kindergarten classroom using dash and dot robots. And other technology tools such as iPads, Chromebooks, and interactive whiteboards are used to assist students with their communication, writing, and working together. They can take pictures on the iPad to celebrate their achievements. Their parents can see what they have accomplished at school, and it supports their communication and, and their ability to really see that they are making progress. So we, we are certainly working to have ever more technology available to them and ever more teacher learning of how to use that technology well. I love that idea of technology in the classroom, especially in those early years. What do you think are the benefits of full-day JK over half-day, which was, you know, frankly, the norm for many, many years, including back in my day? What are the benefits of full-day? Well, I think in the full-day kindergarten program, the children really have enough time to be able to learn um, more with inquiry. So, for example, when the kindergarten program was only two and a half hours long, the children came in at nine, they were gone by 11.30, or they came at one and they were gone by 3.30, and they needed a little snack and a little playtime. The program was, by definition, much more teacher-directed. And children can learn a great many things teacher-directed. We still have explicit instruction in the program now. But the nice part about play-based learning is that they have an opportunity to learn to interact with one another, to explore the world, to have more hands-on learning. It does take longer. I think the full day allows for those opportunities. And again, children are learning how to become a learner that will support them for forever. Absolutely. Okay. What do you think makes Catholic education in York Region different or unique from other educational options available to students? 
Well, I think the Catholic education weaves Catholic beliefs and values into the curriculum. We follow the curriculum from the Ministry of Education, but we do have um, Catholic components infused throughout in every grade and in kindergarten as well. The way our faith manifests in the learning is that it makes that's what makes the kindergarten program distinct in our board. We have a new religion curriculum designed for 21st century learners. Students are engaged in inquiry-based program. It encourages them to explore signs of God's presence in the world around them. Through activities, stories, and celebrations, they learn about the seasons of the church and the signs and symbol of our faith. They also learn the fundamental social components, social justice components of our Catholic faith, that they need to recognize that they belong to the class and the school community. They realize that every child is valued for who they are, that each brings diverse and unique gifts and experiences to the group. And they celebrate their faith through prayer services and masses. And they grow in virtue and character through story, song, drama, and play. And I would say that one tool that the Catholic teacher and the ECE can use is the ability to use those lessons from the Catholic religion program to support helping children deal with conflict, helping them understand how to respect one another. And it's a very nice um, set of values and premises and lessons that support that learning for children. Now, I remember JK registration for my own children was very exciting. It was was exciting for the parents. It's exciting for Mm -hmm. the children. Where can parents find more information and register their children? Uh, They can certainly contact their local school. Any Catholic school that they see in their neighborhood will help direct them if they go to the door. They can visit the school board website at www.ycdsb.ca. They can click schools on the navigation bar, and that will help them find their school. They can also contact the admissions department at 905-713-1211. And between January and June, as they are inquiring into the program and registering, um, they'll be, the children will be entering the kindergarten to visit the school, meet the teachers, become familiar with the routines before school starts in September. So these interviews are called first impressions. Every child has an opportunity to come. It's an opportunity for the teacher, the child, and the parents and guardians to meet. And the teacher collects information that will make the child's entry into school as comfortable as possible. And the parents have an opportunity to get their questions answered or to raise any concerns they may have. And the more of that dialogue that happens before the child comes to school, the better prepared the school is to meet the needs. Diane, thank you for joining us on the feed. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Afwaba is next with the remarkable story of a York Region father of twins and his struggle to get them home to Canada. Imagine you come to the decision that you want to begin a family and you decide to go through the process of surrogacy. And after going through that long, grueling process and finally getting to that stage where you are about to begin a family, you are told that based on a few technicalities, that dream might be pushed 
further away. Joining me to chat today is Joseph Tito. He is a blogger and influencer from the daddiaries.com and he's talking about his experience about going through surrogacy and then almost having the scare of his life after being told that his newborn baby twin girls in Kenya might not be able to join him at home in Canada. Joseph, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Wonderful. Now that I'm home, I'm amazing. <laughs> of course. Welcome home and uh, uh, welcome home to the beautiful Thank twins. You. I'm not going to tell the story. It's, it's best that you tell us um, what happened. So, of course, tell us a bit about yourself and um, how did you come to the point of surrogacy? I looked into adoption, but as a single man, it's uh, close to impossible. Um, and so I really wanted to be a dad. I've always wanted to be a dad. And um, so, yeah, so when I looked into adoption and realized that the possibilities were close to impossible, then I looked into surrogacy and um, I chose a clinic, an Indian clinic um, that they had opened up various clinics around the world. And Kenya was the only place where they advertised that a single male or same sex couples can um, can go through the process. And so I decided to go with Kenya, and that was a year and a half ago, and um, it was a long, long journey. I went through five embryo transfers, and finally, in last April, I got an email saying that she was pregnant, and I was ecstatic, and then 21 days later, uh, the first ultrasound came, and... um, I realized that there were two and that was a little scary. I didn't know whether to jump off my balcony or be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah. So then that was kind of the, the start of it. And then after much anticipation and preparation and all that, I went down to Kenya in November uh, that's the girls were born November 30th. And uh, after all the paperwork and the court orders and birth certificates and everything was done, I went to the Canadian embassy. And that was three weeks before we had to leave. And I paid for all the citizenship and the passports and the urgent passports and everything. And then the day before our flight, I went back to the embassy to try to get my the girl's passport so we could leave, and nothing. We were told after three hours that uh, the girls can't get passports because I am a second-generation Canadian, and that was that. We were stuck in Kenya. And what is going through your mind at that point? I mean, I mean, it's being a new parent is overwhelming for anybody, um, especially with twins and um, but at least you can come home and at home you're set up, you have your nursery, you have your swings, you have your bouncers, your cribs. Um, Being in Kenya and Kenya is not really a first world country. um, It was extremely overwhelming and I had no supplies and I mean, I brought everything with me from Canada. And so that day um, I actually hadn't slept in like 48 hours because we were in Mombasa and we took a 2 a.m. flight to Nairobi, arrived in Nairobi at uh, 6 a.m. and we got into a cab, went straight to the embassy. So we were just exhausted. My mom was with me, thank God. 
And um, when they told me that, I, I, I thought I was in a movie or like, I didn't think it was possible, especially for Canada. I couldn't believe it. And I wasn't registering what they were saying and they kept repeating it and repeating it. And it just wasn't sinking in. And it's, it's devastating. It's, it's a feeling. I can't even explain the feeling of someone telling you, you can't go home. Um, it was just probably one of the worst days of my life that Friday. Right. And of course that feeling that you might not even be able to have a life with them in Canada. I mean, <laughs> well, well, there, there wasn't, there wasn't that, like basically what they had said to me was that I would have to sponsor them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sponsorship can take anywhere between six to 12 months. And so I looked at the guy and I was like, okay, well, what would what do you expect me to do for six to twelve months? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, you can go home, but uh, your girls have to stay here." <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's not happening." Um, it's just like I, like I said that especially the the first stages of parenthood is it's so difficult. I mean, they're relying on you for everything, even for the air they breathe. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, it's just those six to 12 months are extremely important and I, and you need the things and I know it's consumerism and I know, but you need the things to help you, especially with two. I mean, I'm by myself. Um, and when both of them are crying, what do you do mm-hmm. when, when, you know, in Kenya I was, I had nothing. I, I couldn't put them anywhere. I had just a bassinet for them, but here at least, you know, I could put one in the swing while I'm changing the other and, you know, I just, it's just awful. It's an awful, awful feeling. But thank goodness there is a happy ending to it. So talk to me about the moment, uh, of course, the process that you went through um, coming back and then the moment well, that you heard I'd, that they could come home. Well, this for sure, I'd like to thank social media and the media. Um, it's a really, really powerful when used correctly. Um, it's really positive and powerful. So basically, I Friday I went. I went. We got back to the hotel, and I just my mom passed out. Mia was cry, uh, sleeping. Stella kept crying, and I held Stella and I cried with her, feeling like a failed already. I failed as a dad, um, and then nothing. We I slept that day, and then Saturday I was on my social media. And I kind of put it out there that I needed help and it kind of went viral. Um, and then, so that weekend I worked with a, with an immigration lawyer to get the sponsorship packages done, which were like 170 sheets per girl. And I needed T4 slips and I needed letters of employment and I needed a whole bunch of things. And so at least I got that done and with all the media and all the social media, I think they really felt the pressure. And so Monday when we went back, when I gave them the sponsorship package, um, they had actually, they then told me, well, why don't you try to apply for a temporary visitor uh, visa, a temporary resident visa. And if it would get approved, then they would give me a temporary travel document for the girls, which would be valid only for that flight. And, I was like, well, why didn't you tell me this on Friday? But anyway, <laughs> I think, again, because of the pressures and mm-hmm. everything, they kind of felt they needed to expedite the thing. And, uh, yeah, so then on 
that Monday I applied and a week later I was granted the, the visa. And so my girls got me and my girls got to come home and, uh, yeah. So they're still stateless though. They still don't have passports or, um, but hopefully the, the sponsorship comes through right away. So at least they can get their permanent residency and then I could apply for their citizenship. Wow. Well, again, congratulations. Cause, <laughs> um, for any parent to go through that, really, it is a, there are no words. It's, it, it is, it's scary. And it's, and it's, I mean, especially when, when, I mean, any new parent can tell you you're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're sleeping two, three hours a night, you're golden. <laughs> and so when you have to deal with the legalities and the, the, the government websites and the applications and, you know, and before the, the thing that, that really, really upset me was two things. First of all, a year and a half ago, I knew about this law because I was, I was, my problem was that I was born Canadian outside of Canada. So if I would have been born Italian in Italy, like Italian normal, and then I would have come to Canada and then I would have applied for my citizenship, then my kids would have been fine. But since I was born Canadian outside of Canada, I couldn't, I couldn't have my kids uh, be Canadian right away. And the thing that upsets me is that I knew about this and a year and a half ago before I even started this journey because it's not people think that, oh, he went to Kenya to save money. I mean, yes, I saved a little bit of money, but we're still talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So before I even started this process... I checked everything and I, I sent my, my passport and my citizenship to the embassy, to my clinic, everywhere. And I double checked and everyone was like, no, everything's fine. You're fine. And then three weeks before I left, I went back. I paid over 500 US for citizenship, for passports, for urgent passports. Everything was fine. And then they tell me a day before I leave. It's, you know, I can't, I don't know how much checking I have to do, but if, if the people that, you know, are giving you the information are not doing their work, then, you know, and, and it's not just my life. It was, if it was just me by myself, okay, I would deal with it, but we're talking about two babies now. And so, you know, that, that, that really kind of upset me because, you know, I did my, I did my research and, and anybody going through surrogacy or adoption or any of this stuff, you, you, you do your research, you do a lot of research before and you think about it and you research it and you keep thinking about it. And, you know, years go by before you actually make a decision of, you know, the first installment is 20,000 US. Like, we're not talking about going to a supermarket and deciding, do I want oranges or apples? How has life been like yeah. for you since they arrived? Life, uh, life changes. Uh, <laughs> I, am com- I am a completely different person. I, even though I'm still not sleeping anymore, um, it's just that it's, it's completely different when you're home. Um, I have the support here of my family and my friends. I know that if, you know, if, if I need to go to sleep, I could call someone and be like, please come over for an hour. I need a nap. Um, I have my mom and dad here that are just, incredible and they've been so supportive and I don't know if I could have done this without them and their support. Um, it's just different. Like I, like I, I mean, the first night I got here, I put them in the nursery and I literally cried because, you know, I spent so long in the nursery and making sure everything was perfect and, and vaporizers and purifiers mm-hmm. and 
lavender essential oils and and then you know they were stuck for the month and a half with with nothing with not even fresh water so I was just so grateful and happy and I'm just a completely different person here at home if you could give advice to anyone maybe just about your journey what would you tell them um I mean a lot of people don't like can't don't understand why um, I would want to go through this and even and by myself. Um, the reality is I would love to have a partner and I'd love to have, you know, a big happy family, but that didn't happen. So my advice to anybody wanting to do this is if it's something you really want, go for it. Don't let any, anybody or anything stop you. Um, and just maybe quadruple check when it, <laughs> when you're, you know, especially with legal stuff and, um, maybe don't take just someone's answer, but keep asking the questions to various people, um, to make it go a little bit smoother and, uh, just do your research and do your homework and just go for it. Wise words, Joseph. And and where can listeners or anyone rather uh, follow you and um, your your ongoing journey? Will you continue to blog your journey? Yes, I have my blog, which is uh, thedaddiaries.com, or I'm on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. Um, I I my background is in film and TV, so um, now with these two little angels, I'm so inspired to just keep shooting and pictures and. Um, and also I'm a new dad. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, to be honest. <laughs> so I'm using my Instagram and my blog as kind of like a help. <laughs> so anytime I have kind of questions and concerns and um, just going through any milestones or anything like that, I kind of write about it. And, and it's great. It's been amazing to get the feedback and the support, um, especially especially from Vaughn, um, the MP who's been incredible and who's been helping me now expedite this sponsorship and just the various MPs. There's everyone kind of reached out to me and the Vaughn community has been so supportive. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like made me feel less alone and knowing that, you know, I have people out there that genuinely care and, and are willing to help. They'll be right where you need them. Um, you mentioned it off the top. You have such a loving, supportive community, um, a loving mother too. Honestly, I need to like build a statue or something. <laughs> I mean, she's almost seventy, and God bless her soul. Like she was, she, like she was calming me down. Like <laughs> um, just, just the traveling and the going and the coming and the. She was just, honestly, I, I can't, I thank God enough for her. She, I don't know, I don't know how she did it. And I'm, I hope to be half the parent that she was uh, to my girls because, that she is to my girls because she's honestly, she's a real inspiration and the one that made me go on. With the community that you have around you, I think you are going to be just fine, Joseph. Thank you so much um, for taking Thank the time you. to speak with me, for sharing your journey. And, um, of course, we are wishing you all the best uh, moving forward. We are right there behind you. Thank you so much.
This is the feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region. And our next stop is the Markham African Caribbean Canadian Association. And joining us is Lisa Joy Facey, the president of the association. Lisa Joy, welcome to the feed. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we turn our attention to your Black History Month exhibit, can we begin by you telling us a little bit about uh, the Markham African Caribbean Canadian Association? What's it all about? When did it all start? So the Markham African Canadian Association really, uh, started in 1987. So we're a little bit over 30 years old, although we don't look it. <laughs> um, and it, the, the premise behind it, it was started by a gentleman uh, by the name of Mr. Alan McKenzie with a group of uh, about eight dedicated persons. And what they wanted to accomplish was to promote academic empowerment, racial and cultural harmony, um, coupled with the positive principles of community involvement. So at the the time, um, Markham was kind of probably, I would say, a different demographic. Um, It was strongly, they had a, a large contingent of blacks living here, either from African or Caribbean, um, diaspora. And they were, the conditions were, were not as favorable as they are now. And there was this need for them to come together to ban, to, you know, seek to push or lobby for improvements, especially when it came to how their children were treated in school and when it came to interactions dealing with the, um, the police force at that time. And so, there was, they were united around that premise. And then they saw the need of taking the time to further enhance the students by offering other cultural programs such as steel pan lessons. They ran a Saturday school um, program which branched off into like a parenting um, workshop as well. And while the students were doing Saturday school, the parents just hung around and they formed their own group and had some parenting workshops going. And now it has gone even further where we have we run a summer reading um, robotics camp. That's something new for us, that robotics element of it. And we also have our youth council meetings that we have with our the younger generation that we're grooming. Um, now looking ahead specifically, looking ahead to, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, looking ahead to February and Black History Month, what events do you have coming up? I know that you have an exhibit uh, actually next week um, for um, for Black History Month. And then what else do you have coming up in February? What can you tell us? Oh, so um, so for our event, we, we, we try to, to kickstart Black History Month in um, Markham. So we lead off either the, the last week of January or this year just because of when we could book the theater. Um, we have an event on the 23rd where we have our Black History program. And then we have other events going on in February. So like, for example, February 14th, we want to have a singles mixer at the Ani Community Center. That's at um, Markham Road and 14th. Um, Avenue, and we're we're having a singles mixer there, and and we'll be doing a lot of promotion of that. It's like a paint night, and we just have our kind of youth or young 
minded people coming out and just kind of hanging out and um, enjoying that presence. And then on Friday evenings, we're hoping to have various different segments, you know, reflective of black history. So we'll um, activities throughout the month. So there'll be different topics that will be discussed during that time. And, you know, we're hoping to making this black history a, a, a informative one and a, a very interactive one in terms of the experiences that, that will be shared uh, with the community. And the exhibit that you have going on next week, it starts on January 23rd. Where is that taking place? What time? And what can people see there? Okay, so on January 23rd, there, there are two things that's happening. On January 23rd, there's a program in the Slato uh, Markham Theatre that starts at 11 a.m. to 1, and this is in partnership with the City of Markham. So what we have done over the past 22 years, this is our 22nd year doing this, is that the City of Markham recognizes um, persons from the African Caribbean diaspora in Markham and their contributions. And we have a special event there that we, you know, identify who the persons are and we give them an award. We take that opportunity to help to present the, the black history, um, cultural side of it in terms of informing our young people about our, our legacy and in, introducing them to, um, and basically inspiring them to continue to build on this legacy that they are part of. So the the school boards, the two school boards, the York Catholic and the York Region District School Board, they send their children out on that particular day to participate, and it's open to the public as well. This year, our theme is on um, full steam ahead, so we are focused on science and technology, and in particular, the arts as, and as it relates to what's happening in the art arena in, term, in terms of technology. And this year, the any library will be coming in as well and be doing demonstrations, um, looking at the technology that exists now and in terms of 3D printing and other um, modes of creating art and what's happening in that sphere. So it's, it's posing to be a very interesting day. Uh, we have a Black-owned business coming to us also from Ajax, virtual reality. That's a, a, a concept that probably is not very many people are familiar with. And what's good about that, it's a Black-owned business, as, as I said before. And we just want to be promoting that um, or introducing our young people to the opportunities that exist in technology and the people who are actually working in technology that look like them, that have a shared experience like them, and so as to encourage them um, along that path. Well, thank you for sharing that message. For our listeners who want more information about the Markham African Caribbean Canadian Association, where can they go? Where can they get more information? Well, they can visit us at um, our website, which is at macca1987.com. And they can also give us a call at 905-946-9998. That's terrific. Lisa Joy Facey, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you so very much for having me. Bye-bye. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.